Welcome into Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace. Coming at you, it is Monday, January 15th. What is up, everybody? Hope you guys are having a wonderful holiday weekend. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. As you can see by the title of the episode, we are going to go through and tier rank every single team in the NBA. So I'm going to keep the intro quick because we do have a lot to talk about on this episode. Uh, but if you guys remember and have been listening to the podcast long enough to remember when I did this last year, uh, figured this would be, you know, basically it's the same exact exercise and figured this would be a good time to do it. We're basically exactly halfway through the 2023-2024 NBA season, as crazy as that sounds. So we are going to be going through talking about each and every team and I am going to share my screen here, feel like I'm in a little bit of a Zoom call. That way you guys can see the tiers that we're talking about and go from there. So as you can see, we actually have five tiers this time around. Uh, I believe last year we had six, uh, but it's pretty self-explanatory. Right at the top, you have the contenders tier reserved for only the select few teams that I believe can win an NBA championship. Uh, after that, we have, of course, one piece away, teams that are on the cusp of contending for a title, uh, but ultimately need to make at least one move, whether that's a change in personnel, adding an extra player to their roster and rotation, maybe making a coaching change for a select few teams there. Uh, in the middle, we have Frisky. This is probably going to be our biggest tier, if I had to guess. Teams that are competitive enough to win on any given night. Uh, but at the same time, I don't really take them seriously uh, to ultimately contend for a title this year. Fourth tier here, we have the Bad Vibes Club. Pretty self-explanatory, kind of a combination of the good team Bad Vibes tier and, of course, the Purgatory tiers from last year. Uh, and then finally, we have the Tanking tier reserved for the bottom barrel teams in the NBA. I know we have a lot to talk about. There were some very notable injuries in the NBA, some big-time performances. But hopefully, we can kind of get into that once we start doing the tier rankings when we talk about each and every team. And let's not waste any time, guys. Let's get right into it. We are going to go in alphabetical order, and we're going to start off with the Atlanta Hawks, probably the most disappointing team in the entire NBA. Uh, kind of a coincidence that we're going to start with them here, and they are going to be an easy addition to the Bad Vibes Club. Uh, the Hawks, for those who have not been paying attention, are actually 15-23. and 23. Uh, Currently, they are the 11th seed in the Eastern Conference. And uh, I missed the mark on this team, I'm going to be honest. I think I had them to be like the four seed in the Eastern Conference when I was doing this exercise before the season. Uh, was pretty optimistic that they have had some unfortunate head coaches the past couple times around. And figured like Quinn Snyder has been, you know, really highly regarded in NBA circles. Thought he would, you know, help make the most out of what I believe is a deep rotation and a really talented roster. And that just hasn't been the case. I don't really know if it's a Trey Young problem and then like the way, you know, the heliocentric style of play that he has is not one that's conducive to ultimately winning games in the NBA. I think that that's part of it. I definitely think a part of it is the mix with DeJounte Murray there. Clearly, that pairing of Trey and DeJounte Murray is, is not sustainable. It's not a good deal for the Atlanta Hawks when they traded for DeJounte Murray over a year ago. I would really expect DeJounte to be on a different team come the trade deadline uh, because I just think that, again, that pairing just doesn't make a ton of sense and they do not complement each other well on offense. And even on defense, I feel like DeJounte gets the rep of being one of the better guard defenders in the NBA, and when I watch the Hawks, I'm just not impressed. I know he's a part of a terrible team defense right now, but just feels like he gambles all the time. He's not really like, you know, the Derek White-esque player that is just going to like lock somebody up uh, and take them out of the game. He's just going to finish the box score with a couple of steals, and I don't think he really makes that much of an impact defensively. Um, it hasn't been a totally lost season for the Hawks, only because I believe that Jalen Johnson has been one of the most impressive stories of the season. Again, he's a really great wing player that really does everything for the Hawks. He's incredible in transition. He's shooting the ball at a 40% clip from three. He rebounds well. He playmakes pretty well. Uh, just really cool to see the ascension of Jalen Johnson and out of all the wing players that they had. I know the team had hopes that DeAndre Hunter was eventually going to be a two-way star for them, and I feel like that ship has probably sailed. But at least they hit with Jalen Johnson because, again, he is about the only fun thing to watch on this Hawks team. I would expect them to get a little bit better I don't expect them to stay below 500 all season long I mean that would basically be grounds for them to eventually fire Quinn Snyder they definitely have a lot of work to do to get out of that hole again being eight games under 500 but I would expect Atlanta to be in the play and hunt by the time the season ends maybe they can make some noise but they are certainly uh, an easy selection for the bad vibes club here 
Moving on to our next team, we have my team, the Boston Celtics. And again, a pretty easy one to get things started off with here. We're going to put them as our first team in the contenders tier. Um, I don't think this needs a ton of explaining. They are currently 30-9, and nine, the best record in the NBA. Obviously, the top seed in the Eastern Conference as well. Uh, just very lucky. Very lucky that this is my team. I think this is... Uh, probably their best chance to win a title. I know I said that last year, but I wasn't expecting them to have uh, the crazy offseason that they did. Uh, for them, it's all about health, man. Like, it's about mainly the health of Kristaps Porzingis. Is he going to be healthy, you know, for three consecutive months from April, May, and into June as well? Uh, that's really the only question left with this team because I do believe when they are healthy, they are probably the best team in basketball. Um, I just wanted to shout out Jalen Brown as well. I feel like over the past couple of weeks, he's probably playing the best stretch of basketball of his career. I know there was a lot of talk about how many All-Stars the Celtics have, which I'll probably weigh in on a future episode before the All-Star games are voted on and whatnot. Uh, but I think that Jalen's actually playing the best stretch of basketball of his entire career. He's definitely cemented himself as the Celtics' second best player on this roster, as if there were any questions about that. Uh, but again, not a lot to say about the Celtics because they are an easy addition into the contenders tier. Next, we have the Brooklyn Nets, and I'm actually going to put the Nets with the Hawks in the bad vibes clubs here. Kind of a unique situation over in Brooklyn. They just have like a, a really unique roster. Uh, currently, they're sitting at 16 and 22, and they are the 10 seed in the Eastern Conference. They have a couple of guys I really like. You know, I love watching Cam Thomas. I know he's obviously has some flaws in his game. Uh, not really a great playmaker. He's really just out there to get some shots up and score a lot of points. I think at one point this season, he was like averaging like 27 points a game to start the year. And he's definitely crashed back down to earth. And it's pretty fascinating to see if they even decide to close games with him at times. But the story of the next season, I mean... Ben Simmons actually started the year pretty hot for them, and then I'm not really shocked to say that he just has not been healthy at all over the past month or so. Mikhail Bridges is, is clearly not uh, cut out to be the number one player on an NBA team, and that's okay, right? Like, he did have those moments after he was traded from Phoenix last season where, you know, he looked like he was going to be an all-star player, an absolute lock for that with the numbers that he was putting up. He's still an extremely valuable two-way player, super durable, plays in every game, uh, but he's just not a number one option on a team, especially on the offensive end of the court. I think they would be better off probably trading him away because they really don't have a lot of direction. And I think that you could make the case that the Nets are one of actually the worst situations in the NBA. I know that they were able to accumulate a lot of picks when they traded away Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving last year, but they actually don't have their own draft pick until 2028, which is pretty nuts because as you remember, they had to send out a lot of those picks in the deals to get James Harden in the first place. So uh, the Nets are just in a really tough situation where they have every incentive to win this season, right? Again, not having their own picks for the next couple of years. They should be in the mode to compete, but uh, I just don't think they have the talent to really make any noise as his team currently stands. And I wouldn't expect Ben Simmons to put his cape on and save the day for this team anytime soon. Moving on, we have the Charlotte Hornets. They are going to be an easy addition into the tanking tier here. We have our first team in the tanking tier. They're currently sitting at 8-29. and 29. They're currently the 13th seed in the Eastern Conference. And they're actually pretty unique, right? I was actually for a second thinking about putting them in the bad vibes club and, and moving them out of tanking because I do believe that their talent is pretty high on this roster when everybody's healthy. Uh, but again, they're not, they really haven't been healthy all season. I know they just got the good news that LaMelo Ball is back and playing for the team. But between LaMelo's injuries earlier this season, Mark Williams being unable to stay on the court, same thing with Gordon Hayward for large stretches of time. Um, I do think for what it's worth, they are going to be the most talented team we have in this tanking tier, and it wouldn't actually surprise me for them to climb the standings as the season does move along here. But they're sitting here, again, with eight wins, 29 losses at the time of recording this. I can't help but put them in the tanking tier because they are one of the worst record teams in the NBA. And even if they kind of surpass some of their counterparts in this tier, I don't think the ceiling is, is super duper high for this team. I do like, you know, the limited times I have watched or what I've seen from Brandon Miller. I think he's shown a lot of promise. And just at, at that size, the ability for him to eventually become a really solid two-way player is obvious. And I think the fit alongside LaMelo Ball does make sense in theory. We just haven't seen a whole lot of games of both of those guys playing at full strength. So it will be interesting to watch. And the final thing I wanted to note on is that, look, Miles Bridges, he is playing for the Hornets, uh, much of the chagrin of basically everybody. That's a decent human being with 
kind of the messed up stuff that that guy's done over the past couple of years. But as, as shitty as it is that he's even playing in the NBA, uh, you do have to admit that he's extremely talented. He's kind of filling up the box score, uh, kind of the same exact player that we saw from him a couple of years ago. So this team is, again, far and away the most talented team we will see in this tanking tier. And it's just going to be interesting to see what they look like over the next couple of weeks if everybody gets back to full strength. Moving on, we have the Chicago Bulls, and we are going to add them into the Bad Vibes Club. And I know that we have three teams early on in the Bad Vibes Clubs here. I, I can't imagine this tier is going to be that full at the end of this episode. But I have to put the Bulls right in this tier because, again, I've been saying it for a while now. I know I had them in the purgatory tier the last time that we talked about the Chicago Bulls. They're currently 19-22. and 22. They're the nine seed in the Eastern Conference. And I just feel like, again, this team is in the spot where they need to strip this thing down to the studs and basically ship everybody in their starting lineup out for parts. You have guys like Zach Levine, who's been floated in a ton of trade rumors, as well as, you know, having some really other valuable pieces on the roster that I think could join him on the trade market. And DeMar DeRozan is obviously still uh, the guy they prefer to close games with, the ball in his hands. Alex Caruso is extremely desirable uh, by Virtually every single team in the NBA could use a guy like Alex Caruso. Even Vucevic, man, I know that people didn't like that contract when he signed it a couple years ago, but I think he's actually a decent value for what it's worth. And I know he kind of gets a bad rap because he, you know, was involved in the lesser part of that deal from the Orlando Magic a couple years ago. But I think he is a pretty good value, and I think he'd be a really good trade target for teams like Golden State that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Even with them at full strength, you know, they're sitting there, you know, looking in the play and race, you know, maybe you could argue they're a frisky team because of the Kobe White resurgence this season. I know he was shooting like over 50% from three for like a month stretch, which obviously I don't think is sustainable, but I just don't really buy in the Bulls long term. And I think that they just need to kind of pick that, you know, tanking direction and head that way. Or else they're just going to be floating in no man's land where they're never going to have a top draft pick. And they really don't have many young foundational pieces on that team to build around moving forward. So I do think Chicago is still one of the worst situations in the NBA, and they're an easy addition into the Bad Vibes Club. Let's move on to the next team on this list. We have the Cleveland Cavaliers. And let me just say that this team right there with the Los Angeles Lakers is probably the two hardest teams that I have to rank today. Uh, because the Cavs have actually had a little bit of a resurgence ever since they lost both Evan Mobley and Darius Garland, which is pretty insane. I know Donovan Mitchell is playing at a really high level, and that's somewhat to do with it. And just in general, they have a, a pretty deep roster and some guys that you know can fill up the box score. Guys like Karis LeVert have been really great for Cleveland lately. Uh, but it's still kind of hard to shake off like the bad vibes of this team because I think we still all expect Donovan Mitchell to be traded just with his contract situation and just... Overall, the, the vibes out of Cleveland has been that he's not very happy there. Uh, so I'm actually going to put Cleveland right in the middle, and they're going to be at the top of our frisky tier here. Uh, just because I feel like they have the talent if, if they actually you know kept this thing together to be in the one piece away, but also their vibes are terrible for Donovan Mitchell. So we're going to put them as our first selection in the frisky tier, and I think that that's fair. Uh, they're actually 22 and 15. They're sitting at the four seed in the Eastern Conference currently. So they've actually, again, picked things up as of late, going seven and three in their last 10 games. Again, all without Darius Garland and Evan Mobley. Um, so again, I just still expect Donovan Mitchell to be moved. And I still think even after they move Donovan Mitchell, that they can still be a really competitive team because I am interested to see what this looks like if they were to turn the keys over to Darius Garland and have him really be the focal point of their offense. Um, you know, I really think Garland's a super high ceiling guy. I am interested to see if coach JB Bickerstaff kind of saved his job as well. I know I talked about on the podcast a couple episodes ago that I heard that his seat is really hot. Uh, hopefully he's been able to save that a little bit, especially with reduced expectations for this team with all the injuries that they're going through. So Cleveland, a really tough team to rank, but I am going to leave them right there in the frisky tier. Moving on, we have the Dallas Mavericks, a team that started off the season on fire. Uh, I was feeling really good about my pick when I said that I thought they were going to be the second seed in the Western Conference because I really believed in what this team could achieve, at least in the regular season. Uh, but since then, they've cooled off quite a bit. They've been dealing with a lot of injuries. They're currently sitting here at 23 and 17, and they are the seventh seed in the Western Conference. I'm going to put Dallas Mavericks right next to Cleveland in the frisky tier. Uh, it's just really tough, again, now that they've been going through a little bit of injuries, and they're just way too dependent on the health of, you know, guys that weren't expected to have massive roles this season, like, you know, 
Derek Lively and his health is super important to the Mavericks at this point in time. Same thing with Dante Exum. You know, Kyrie, for moments, he's been fantastic. Really, whenever he's on the court, he's still an unbelievable talent. Uh, but the issue is that's just, you know, he's still unreliable, as you would ever expect. He's been missing a ton of games lately. Luka's been going through his own injuries. But even when they are healthy, I still have some real question marks about the long-term future of this team. I certainly don't think that they can contend anytime soon. And I don't even think they're one piece away, even with how good I think Luka Doncic is. Uh, I just think that they need more than one move to put them in that contender's tier. So feel pretty good about putting them in Frisky. You know, I still have some massive question marks about some of the decisions that Jason Kidd makes. I still think he's an absolutely terrible coach. Uh, really can't seem to figure out why Grant Williams is coming off the bench in favor of Derek Jones Jr. I know that Grant started the season hot like the rest of the team, and he's cooled off quite a bit lately. But still, what he gives you on the defensive end of the court and spacing the floor is still superior to Derek Jones Jr. And then, you know, when Derek Lively's out, and they've been dealing with Maxi Kleber out as well, you're, you're forced back into the same bowl you were last year when you had to play, you know, Dwight Powell. 25 minutes a game and that brother is terrible so again i think the mavs despite their hot start despite me being optimistic about luca winning mvp and everything that this team can achieve they just need to get healthy and then maybe i'd feel okay about moving them into one piece away but with where their record is at and just kind of the vibes around dallas i feel like they are uh right there in the frisky tier and that's where we're going to leave things at moving on we have to talk about the defending champion denver nuggets this one should be pretty quick as well. We're going to put them right next to Boston in the contending tier. Uh, currently, Denver is sitting at 28-13, and 13, so well below the pace that they were on last year. Uh, currently sitting at the three seed in the Western Conference, but I really don't have any doubts about Denver. I think I would even go as far as to say they're still definitely the team to beat coming out of the West. They slid down the standings a little bit uh, for that stretch of games where Jamal Murray missed action. Uh, but the big thing that, like, everyone that watches Denver is kind of focused on, I'd imagine, is just kind of thinking about in the back of their mind, hey, when it comes to playoff time, who is going to eat up those minutes that Bruce Brown took last year? And I think they actually have two really solid replacement options, one better than the other. But I've been really impressed from the limited minutes I've seen of Peyton Watson that guy really just leaps off the screen with his athleticism. He is already a really fantastic defensive option for the Nuggets. And on offense, he's kind of a work in progress. But going to the hoop, you can see the athleticism. If he can get consistent with the three ball, he's going to be a really valuable piece for Denver that I expect would play in the playoffs. They have a guy, Strother, as well, that's been shooting the ball pretty well from three. And I think he's more of a safer option on offense for the team. So between those two guys, uh, Denver is going to be fine. They still have who I believe is the best player in the world in Jokic. A lot of people are not talking about them as much because Minnesota and OKC are above them in the standings. But I still think when it comes down to the playoff time, not many people would be counting out Denver because I think they are still the team to beat. Moving on, we have to talk about the Detroit Pistons, man. Currently sitting with a record of 3-36. and 36. Picked up right where they left off before they finally beat, what was it, Toronto? Ended their, like, their 20-something game losing streak, which like tied the all-time record. They are going to be an easy addition into the tanking tier. Oh, well, looks like I already had Detroit in the tanking tier. I don't even remember when I did that. Uh, but that's fine. I don't think anyone is really surprised about me having uh, Detroit in the tanking tier. Uh, so let's just kind of go by the numbers, because we're looking at all-time bad stuff from Detroit when looking at their actual record. Currently sitting below an 8% win percentage, which is actually worse than the 2012 Bobcats. And I only bring them up because I was thinking of like the all-time bad NBA teams in my lifetime and the 2012 Bobcats came to mind. I think that was the year that Kentucky actually won the national championship with Anthony Davis and all those guys. And there was like some real discourse in NBA circles like can the Bobcats beat Kentucky if those two teams were to face off I was always in favor that the Bobcats would have definitely won that game uh, but it probably would have been more competitive than you than it should be uh, that team actually finished 7 and 59 uh, because that was the lockout season but even then that those Bobcats again had a 10.6 winning percentage so as you guys can tell Detroit uh, record-wise, is literally going to be one of the worst teams in our lifetime if this continues. But frankly, I, I don't think that they're that bad. Like, I think if you actually compare the rosters of these two teams, and I know, again, obviously the N that says a lot about the NBA, like, kind of progressing as a whole with how much more talent is in the league now than there was 10, 12 years ago. But there's actually a few guys on Detroit I really like, and it's really disgraceful how bad the Pistons are despite some of the guys on this roster that I believe are still pretty talented. You know, I obviously love Cade. I really love Jalen Durin. I like what I've seen out of Asar Thompson as well. Uh, they have a real professional and a veteran presence on
on the roster and Bogdanovich as well, who's been kind of filling up the stat sheet for the Pistons. I know he's, I, I believe, out again today. We have a huge slate of games. But it, it really just begs a question to ask, like, does Monty Williams not only have the worst coach contract in the NBA, but does he have, like, the worst contract in the NBA, period? Because, you know, he was obviously a guy that won Coach of the Year a couple years ago, was held in high regard for Phoenix, and then kind of fell out of favor with new ownership. And, you know, Phoenix's struggles in the playoffs, but... Uh, this is really insane. Like some of the, the decisions that he makes with his rotation are, are really puzzling. You know, he's finally started to give Jaden Ivey uh, a little bit of a longer leash recently, and maybe that'll help the team figure it out. But again, this team, I don't even know if they're worse than Washington, to be honest with you. Like, I don't even know if they're actually the worst team in the NBA currently, but obviously their record reflects that. So really just terrible stuff out of Detroit. Hopefully you can kind of take solace in the fact that you have two guys on your roster, maybe three guys on your roster that are probably worth keeping around throughout this rebuild. And it is worth noting as well that they actually made a trade within the past couple of days. Uh, they traded away Marvin Bagley and Isaiah Livers for two future second round picks uh, over to the Washington Wizards in exchange for Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala. So again, you're bringing in another professional and another veteran presence in the building with Danilo Gallinari. Frankly, I hate watching the Wizards, and we're going to talk about them later. They're literally my least favorite team to watch. So I don't know if, how washed Gallo you know, really looks. I, again, I haven't seen a ton of him this season. But if you can add another veteran presence to this Pistons locker room that they desperately need, like they just need to, to recap some wins, man. Like Monty has no excuse for them being this bad. So I would expect Detroit to continue to try to compete, right? Like, you know, you're going to end up with a 25% chance of getting the first overall pick regardless of what happens from here. So maybe they're a little bit better. But the main reason they made that trade was just to get off Marvin Bagley's contract. So I guess you can call that a win for Detroit as well. But yeah, needless to say, they are an easy selection to the tanking tier. And we are going to move on to talk about the Golden State Warriors. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on Golden State. I know I talked about them a lot last episode and even a little bit the episode before that when we were talking about Draymond's dumbest moments. I'm just going to put them right here as our first selection into one piece away, uh, which is probably being generous if you're just looking at the standings, right? I mean, Golden State is 18 and 21. They're currently the 12 seed in the Western Conference, you know, two spots outside of the play-in race in the West. That is terrible. Uh, but out of respect for Steph, like we talked about, I'm still going to put them in one piece away. I think if they make even just one move to ship off some draft capital and maybe one of their younger pieces for a big man, like a Daniel Gafford in Washington, maybe he's more acquirable now that they have Marvin Bagley there. Maybe they go out and get Isaiah Stewart from Detroit, another tanking team, Nikola Vucevic as well, uh, maybe Jared Allen in Cleveland. If they can just go out and get another big man, you know, kind of slim down their roster and, and just remove one of the young guys from the locker room, bring in Draymond, keep him there, keep Clay around. I think this team can turn it around, but they are certainly going to be an uphill battle with the situation that they are in record-wise. Moving on, we're going to start discussing the Houston Rockets, and they are going to be an easy addition into the Frisky tier. Uh, I'm not going to lie, guys. I really like the Rockets. I was actually pretty worried. I know the Celtics are, what, are they 20-0 at home right now? And when the Rockets came to town earlier this week, a couple nights ago, I was actually kind of nervous. Uh, just something about Ime being back in the building, his first game in Boston since uh, his coaching tenure ended with the Celtics before last season. I knew Ime would have those guys motivated. And at this point, I'm just nervous about really every Celtics home game, but especially against the Rockets, man, because I really love this team. Again, they're sitting at 19 and 19. So they are at 500. I know they started the year pretty hot and they've cooled off a little bit since then. Currently sitting at the 10 seed in the Western Conference. Uh, but I still, again, I really like this team. Ime is a really elite coach that has this guy, these guys really playing hard, especially in the defensive end of the court. And I just love watching Shangun, man. Like, I was expecting a leap from Shangun this season, just with them getting a few more professionals in the building, and especially some guards that would actually distribute the ball to him a little bit more. But he's the focal point of the offense. I mean, basically every possession, especially in the half-court set, they're running through Shangun. And it's crazy to see how much better the offense is this year going through Shangun compared to last year when you look at the team when it was run through Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green. I mean, maybe you're a little upset as Rockets fans just that you haven't been able to see a ton of consistent minutes from Amen Thompson, a guy with super high potential that they obviously took with the third pick in the draft. That's not great, but you got to love what you're seeing from Shangun. He's been an absolute star and I believe is definitely warranted of being an all-star this year. Uh, you like what you've seen from Jabari Smith as well. So a lot of things to be excited about in Houston. Up next, we have the Indiana Pacers. So 
The Pacers are actually sitting at 23-16, and 16, currently the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. And again, I think this is another team that we're going to add right here in the Frisky tier. Uh, reason being, I mean, I, again, I, I know that their in-season tournament run was pretty cute. They knocked out two contenders in Boston and then, of course, Milwaukee, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. They still don't really play any defense. I would expect them, I think they're still kind of overperforming right about now, and I would expect them to slide down the standings a little bit more if I had to guess. The team makes sense. They have, especially on the offensive end of the court, a ton of firepower. My only advice to Indiana is, I don't even know if this is necessarily the best advice, but I would love to see them move on from Buddy Heald because I do feel like they have a pretty deep rotation. And just give the starting nod to Ben Matherin because that guy is absolutely electric. I know he, you know, recency bias is kicking in because the Celtics lost a close one in, in Indiana a couple nights ago. And a large reason why is because Ben Matherin had like 26 points or something like that. Uh, but that guy can score the ball at an elite level, and I think him and Halliburton alongside each other would be a lot of fun. Uh, you might need Ben Matherin to give up the ball a little bit more, so maybe his role off the bench makes the most sense for them at this time. But obviously the vibes in Indiana are pretty good. They're a much more competitive team than most people thought, so they're an easy addition into the frisky tier. Moving on, we're going to talk about another contender, and that contender is the Los Angeles Clippers. So let's move them up right here to the contending tier because the Clippers have been absolutely on fire as of late. I know I kind of put out that PSA that they had a 10-game winning streak a couple episodes ago, but they're currently 25-14. and 14. They're the four seed in the Western Conference, and you can make the argument they've been the best team in basketball over the last month and a half, two months. So stop me if you've heard this before, but if the team stays healthy, they can win a title. And I really mean that. And the largest reason why is because Kawhi Leonard is playing like he is a top five player in basketball. I know there seems to be like 10 guys that you can put in that, you know, top five tier or at least make an argument for. Uh, but over the last month, I will give you my top five. My top five over the last month is Jokic, Giannis, Embiid when he plays, Shea, and Kawhi. That's in no order. But Kawhi's definitely on that short list. Especially offensively, I feel like he's playing some of the best basketball of his entire career. Uh, it's no secret that the defense has taken a little bit of a step back, but with some of the other guys that they have on that roster, they don't even really need him to be like San Antonio Spurs Kawhi on defense. You could make the argument that Kawhi, who just signed a three-year extension that'll kick in after this season, the decision to sign up for another three years of Kawhi is extremely risky, especially when you remember that, hey, he just suffered another injury in the playoffs last year when it mattered the most. But if you look at the level that he's playing at right now, you know, if he can, you know, just continue this level or even, you know, 75% of the level that he's playing at right now, that contract is going to be well worth it. And we've already talked about the fact that the Clippers are all in, right? Like they are committed to trying to win a championship before the end of Kawhi's career. So you might as well keep that guy under contract because, you know, they're not rebuilding anytime soon anyways. So you might as well sign him. And so I think that if I was a Clippers fan, I would be very happy with the decision to re-sign Kawhi. Uh, James Harden looks like he's rejuvenated. I know, you know, this is again, kind of the honeymoon phase. Whenever he goes to a new team, he, he seems to overperform for a little bit, but I think that this basketball situation for James Harden just makes a ton of sense. And that shows, uh, there's certainly a better team with him on the roster than what they were before they made that trade. Uh, Norm Powell, still one of my guys, still an absolute bucket off the bench, who's really thriving in his role. And I think overall, the Clippers are probably the deepest team in the NBA. I was looking at their roster a little bit earlier, and it looks like they have 10 guys, uh, maybe even 11 guys that you could make the argument can be in a playoff rotation. Obviously, they're going to narrow that down to about eight or nine guys when the going gets tough in April. Uh, but again, the Clippers are, are absolutely firing right now. They're as scary as any team in the NBA. And I don't even really feel that bad about putting them in contenders. I know that they were kind of on the bubble last year, but you have to admit that they're playing a lot better brand of basketball than some of the teams below them in the standings. Moving on, the other team in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Lakers. I mentioned them a little bit earlier on this podcast uh, that they were probably the toughest team to rank right alongside Cleveland. But ultimately, I'm going to settle on one piece away. The Lakers are below 500, dude. I just can't in good faith put them in the contending tier right now. They're 19 and 21, currently the 11th seed in the Western Conference. Uh, what a bizarre season for them, man. Like, you know, the in-season tournament run has really covered up what was a super disappointing season for them. And now finally that we're like over a month removed from that, everybody has like, you know, all like the joy around the Lakers and, and them kind of turning it on for those few games in December. 
uh, has gone away, and now everybody's like, all right, what is going on? This team's below 500 halfway through the season. Um, even despite the fact that I think they had a, a great offseason by all accounts and everybody was so quick to compliment the Lakers, they're still in the same boat as they were last year, that they're way too dependent on LeBron James and Anthony Davis to do virtually anything for that team, especially on the offensive end of the court. I liked the Austin Reeves signing, but, you know, something there, he doesn't seem to even be a consistent option if LeBron's not the one playmaking for them. Gabe Vincent has battled injuries all season. The rotation's all up in the air. And I know that it's really unfair how quickly we'd like to move on from coaches in the NBA, especially for LeBron-led teams because they are under a microscope, uh, combining that with the fact that they're in the biggest NBA market in the league as well. But I, again, I think that Darvin's ham being on the hot seat kind of makes sense. Like, you, you need to just figure out what's going on with this rotation. They obviously have tradable pieces like D'Angelo Russell. So maybe if you, you know, combine D'Angelo Russell and somebody else's contract, you can acquire somebody else that would be more meaningful offensive playmaker for them. Uh, that's certainly more consistent than D'Lo. I think that's probably the most likely course of action, but it wouldn't surprise me if they go through a coaching change before the trade deadline as well. The vibes in Los Angeles are objectively terrible. They really should be in the bad vibes club, but they're obviously too talented and have championship aspirations that I'm going to feel comfortable leaving them in one piece away for right now. Moving on to the next team, in this list, we have the Memphis Grizzlies, and they're a pretty easy addition uh, with the current state of the Grizzlies to put them right here in the tanking tier. I know you might look at their record and they turn things around lately, uh, but they're sitting at 14 and 25, the 13th seed in the Western Conference, and of course, kind of bury the lead here. The, the news out of Memphis is that John Morant is actually out for the season. I believe he has a tear in his shoulder that they noticed during practice about a week ago at this point in time, so... Just devastating news for a Grizzlies team that was rebounding a little bit with John Morant back. I know a lot of people maybe were optimistic that once he came back, they were going to rally and eventually make the playoffs or maybe even the play-in tournament. I never bought that. Uh, but not only did they lose job for the season, but it looks like Desmond Bain is going to be out multiple weeks as well with a new injury for him. Marcus Smart, who had recently returned to action for the team and was looking really good, is actually out for multiple weeks again. So this is just a season from hell for the Grizzlies, and it's actually getting to the point where I'm starting to feel bad for them. I can't even gloat about their failure anymore because at this point, the injuries are just so insane that they really never had a shot at all this season. So I can't even blame them for putting them in the tanking tier this season. You know, the silver lining for them is just that they do have their own pick this year and that they would be in the best interest to all those players, you know, Bain and Smart, especially at this point in time, like, don't rush those guys back. Just make sure that this is, you know, probably the only crack that they're going to have at a really high lottery pick over the next few years with their core being in place. So you might as well make sure that that pick is as good as it can be uh, and really embrace the tank. And I think that is what Memphis is going to do. Moving on to the next team in this list, we have the Miami Heat. And I'm actually going to move them into the contenders tier. I actually just had to re-record because I was really close to putting them in one piece away. But frankly, I'm just so impressed by what I've seen this year from two guys that were not a part of their playoff run last year. And those guys being Jaime Jaquez as well as Tyler Hero. Both of those guys, obviously Hero due to injury and Jaquez, this being his first year in the league, have been fantastic for the Heat this season. And in typical Miami fashion, of course, they have one of the last picks from the first round, and they come away with the guy who might very well be the most impressive player in his draft class. I say impressive uh, because obviously the expectations for Vic Victor Wembanyama were so high that even though he's been playing at a super high level for San Antonio, I don't know if he's necessarily surpassed the insane expectations that we all have for him. Whereas for Hawkes, the expectations were minimal and he's just, you know, blown it out of the water. Every time I watch Miami, I'm just, I cannot believe that that guy's in his first year in the league. He defends at a super high level, the decisions that he makes, uh, how strong he is going to the basket, his finishing ability, he can space the floor still. Uh, he really has no weakness in his game, and it's just insane that Miami was able to pick him up in the draft. And so, yeah, man, I, I originally had them in one piece away because I just didn't trust that Kyle Lowry was going to be able to perform at a high level again. Same thing with Kevin Love, some of those guys getting older that are going to have to play a part in that rotation. But I do just feel like, you know, having Harrow for the playoff run, hopefully, uh, for the sake of the Miami Heat, he's going to be available this year. That's going to be able to lighten the load on Lowry and obviously replace those Gabe Vincent minutes and then everything that Hawkes brings to the table. Uh, I definitely think that Miami is behind Boston and behind Milwaukee for those contenders in the Eastern Conference, but they still need to be on that list. Miami staying in the contenders tier. Moving on, we have another contender that we're going to be talking about, the Milwaukee 
Bucks. Let's move them right up next to Miami in the contenders tier, sitting at 28 and 12, currently the two seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, not a lot to say about that. I guess I could go into detail about the absolute ass beating that they gave my Celtics. I know the Celtics were on the road. On, they had just traveled to Milwaukee from Boston on the second night of a back-to-back. Uh, but that's really no excuse for what we saw. There was one player on the Celtics starting lineup in double figures. Uh, that's just how bad it was. At one point, I think they were down by over 50 points to Milwaukee. Really embarrassing stuff. Like, I know it was a tough situation for Boston and, and Milwaukee. Should have been favored in that game and probably should have come away with the win either way to defend their own home court. Uh, but you never really want to see that as a team that's contending for a title to get an absolute ass beating like that. So Giannis is obviously still Giannis. Dame actually had an insane buzzer beater last night over Sacramento as well. Dame is still doing Dame stuff, especially that late game offense is really where that improvement from Milwaukee is seen the most. Having him to control the ball at the end of games like we've talked about is going to be so crucial for them. Even Chris Middleton is actually coming on uh, recently, who's that's somebody that I had kind of mentally wrote off a little bit. So even though the defense is worse, we all understand that. We all know that. Their offense is so much better. You know, Milwaukee's really terrifying. And I think that a lot of people are actually going to pick them to go all the way uh, because of how good they've been as of late. An easy addition into the contender tier. Moving on, another really talented team we're going to be talking about here, the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I know a lot of people would probably expect them to be in the contender tier with where they sit in the Western Conference standings, being the top team in the West at 28 and 11. But I am going to put them in one piece away. Minnesota's had some warts as of late. They've had some struggles with late game offense and their half court offense. But just in general, the reason I have them in one piece away is because you just rarely see in the NBA a team, you know, win its first playoff series in forever. And then in that same year, actually jump onto the scene and contend for a championship. Like, I, I just don't think that a team is just going to kind of emerge from from basically nothing to do that. Like, I know that they played Denver close last year and they played some playoffs games, which is valuable for Anthony Edwards and the other guys in that roster. Uh, but they still haven't literally won a playoff series since like 2004. So I just don't think that they're going to expel those demons and then immediately contend for a title in the same year. I just don't buy it. Uh, I think there's some holes in that rotation. I think they could improve the Kyle Anderson spot, even though he did play really well against Boston and, and they love him in Minnesota. I think that guy's super overrated and I, I really just can't stand him. Minnesota's been great. I think they're going to stay, you know, as a top three seed in the Western Conference when it's all said and done. But I just can't put a team that young uh, with that little playoff success in the contenders tier. I'm just not doing it. Moving on, we're going to be talking about the New Orleans Pelicans currently sitting at 24 and 16. They're the five seed in the Western Conference. And I think the Pelicans are kind of the poster boys for the frisky tier, if I do say so myself. As always, man, they're a deep roster right there with the Clippers is one of the deepest teams in the NBA. They're fun. They still have the upside in Zion Williamson of a guy who can be a top 10 player in the league if he's ever right again. But sadly, I'm not betting on that. I don't know if we're ever going to see the same, uh, you know, kind of spring that we did from Zion a couple years ago. Really sucks because I, I think he's only like 24 years old or something crazy like that. But that being said, you know, I think that's kind of, oh, did I put them in bad vibes club? That's my bad boomer moment there. Let me move him up to frisky. Uh, but that being said, I, I just don't really think that I, I take them seriously as a contender. I think they can definitely win a playoff series. I think they're going to be a tough out. Uh, but I just don't think that, you know, without Zion ascending to the levels that he did a few years ago, I think that is a, the difference maker to move them up a tier or two. And I'm just not there with New Orleans. So because of the ceiling that's on Zion, that's kind of the ceiling on the team as a whole. And I'm going to leave them in the frisky tier. Moving on, talking about the New York Knicks here. They're going to go right next to New Orleans in frisky as well. The Knicks are sitting at 23-16, and 16, the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference, but I believe it's really close. They're probably like a game out of being the fourth seed or something like that. Uh, but the early returns on that OG and Anobi trade are really solid, as we talked about. I think that was genuinely a win-win for both sides, and I know we're going to talk about Toronto in a little bit. But I think that the move, you know, uh, the reality of the situation is it took them from frisky to like, friskier after making that move right like again the Knicks just don't really scare me uh, I think that they are missing like a, a true superstar player to pair alongside Jalen Brunson because I don't know if Randall's going to be that guy when it matters the most in the playoffs I think his playoff struggles have been well documented so again I really like the OG Ananobi trade I really like that pickup for them I think the Knicks are going to be a, a tough team to play on a night to night basis but I don't think that they're necessarily one piece away from winning a championship or contending for a title so I'm going to leave them right there in frisky 
Moving on, we are talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder, sitting at 27-11, and 11, currently the two seed in the Western Conference. And this is tough, but I am going to put them in one piece away. We just talked about the Timberwolves a couple teams ago, and I, I kind of have the same logic for the Thunder, right? Like, they haven't done anything in the playoffs with this core at all whatsoever. Uh, so it's very rare that, again, you see a team win their first playoff series, kind of jump onto the scene and immediately contend for a championship in the same year. So I am going to put them in one piece away. Again, I do think the Thunder win a playoff series this year, to say the least. But they are easily the scariest team of the one piece away tier. And the reason is, is because they have an obvious weakness and they also have unlimited amounts of assets to do something about their weakness, right? Their weakness is their lack of size next to Chet Holmgren, right? Especially when you look at those other teams in the West, like Minnesota and Los Angeles and Denver, like they all have some really impressive size there uh, that the Thunder really don't have with the exception of Chet. But again, Chet uh, being a pretty slight guy at this point in his rookie season, I, I wouldn't want him to have to go through uh, playing all the center minutes for that team like he has so far, especially when things get more physical in the playoffs. But if they trade for a big man, like again, bring in a Vucevic, bring in a Jared Allen, bring in a uh, Daniel Gafford, something like that. Uh, and maybe another veteran for them to kind of, you know, give them some buckets off the bench. Like this Thunder team is literally terrifying. And especially when you have a dude that's playing at an MVP level and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, like, this dude is insane, and I think he gets better shots than almost anybody else in the entire NBA to close games. He looks like he could be a real selection to win both MVP and the Clutch Award at this point in time, and I think both could be warranted. Put the Thunder in one piece away because if they decide to just kind of hold tight with this current group and see what they can do, I just wouldn't expect them to come out of the Western Conference. But again, after one trade, I could be speaking about the Thunder in a very different tone and could easily see them jumping up into the contender's tier. Moving on, we have to talk about the Orlando Magic, a.k.a. the team with the best theme song in the game. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, you gotta find the Orlando Magic on Twitter after any sort of victory. The Orlando Magic, whoa, that shit goes crazy. It goes crazy. I had to do a little acapella because I was too lazy to actually clip it and add it to this podcast. Uh, but I implore you guys to look it up. Uh, the Magic, again, are actually going to be going right here into the Frisky tier next to the New York Knicks. Uh, the Magic currently sitting at, what is their record here? I have it here, right? Don't I? 21 and 18, currently sitting at the 8th seed in the Eastern Conference. Another team well-deserving of the Frisky tier. Uh, and there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Magic fan. If you just want to look at Paulo Bancaro's stats over the last month or so, I believe in the month of January exactly. So only, a, obviously, a few games at this point. He's averaging 29, 8, and 6, and he had pretty similar numbers in December as well. He's ascending rapidly as a star player in this league. Uh, Going to be very interested to see if he cracks the Eastern Conference All-Stars this year because he's definitely in the conversation. Uh, the dude's just a matchup nightmare. Like, dudes cannot stay in front of him with how strong he is. He just bounces off guys. Uh, his isolation game and his handle is so tight despite being, you know, six foot ten, six foot eleven out there. Finishes with the best of them. You know, the three-point jump shot really hasn't been consistent at all, and he doesn't even need it to be reaching, again, near 30 points a game. The Magic are awesome, and it's headlined by the growth of Paolo. Uh, Jalen Suggs is somebody that's really stuck out to me a lot this year as well. There were really high hopes for Jalen Suggs coming out of the draft, and you know, early on, the offense was rocky. The jump shot wasn't reliable, but he's really carved out a role as just a dog on defense. One of the hardest working, maybe the hardest working guy in the league. I would actually expect him to land on an all defensive team this season because there is just, you know, game after game and even games. I, I don't actually watch the full game for the magic. I'll just see clips of him just hounding guys on defense. Uh, Suggs is awesome. And so he, you know, carving out a role for himself, you know, the Ascension Apollo, the Ascension of Franz. This team has a really great core in place. And I'm excited to see how they build around him over the next couple of years. The Magic, again, easy addition into the Frisky tier. Moving on, let's talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. And I'm actually going to move up Philadelphia into the one piece away tier. They're sitting at 24 and 13. They are the three seed in the Eastern Conference. 
Uh, and the storyline to pay attention to out of Philadelphia is just that Embiid is actually on track to actually not be eligible for MVP or any of the All-NBA teams. The dude has been a monster, averaging near 35 points a game again this season. Like, he's playing some of the best basketball of his career. Uh, but he's missed a lot of games. He's already missed 10. And as you guys remember, the minimum to be eligible for N uh, NBA awards and All-NBA teams is actually 65 games this year. So again, he can only miss seven more games the rest of this season to be eligible. If he misses any more than that, he is, again, not eligible for that. Something to make note of. So maybe that's why Philadelphia is not, you know, contending for the second or first seed in the Eastern Conference because, again, a lot of those games have been without a bead. But what we've seen from Philadelphia so far is that the start of the season for Tyrese Maxey is not a fluke. That guy is, you know, I would say probably a lock to win most improved at this point in time unless something crazy happens with how unbelievable he's been this season. But really the only thing that's holding me back from putting Philadelphia in the contender tier with the type of ball that Maxie's playing with their rotation being a lot deeper than last year, the vibes out of Philly being a lot better without James Harden around. Really the only thing keeping them out of the contender tier is just my like deep rooted distrust of Philadelphia in the playoffs. They just have never really made it past the second round. And they just, you know, their offense seems to slow down and Bede seems to be a little bit more neutralized in the playoffs. So maybe it is enough for Philadelphia to just have a much better coach and Nick Nurse this year and having a deeper rotation with a few more talented perimeter def defenders to throw out there. And, and maybe that's enough for Philly to get over the hump this year. But at this point in time, I'm not buying it. I know Daryl, he's always active. And so maybe he'll make another move at the deadline to get uh, more of a, you know, quote unquote, third star next to Maxi and Embiid as well. But that being said, I think just what we've seen from DePias Harris this year has been proven that, hey, in an expanded role this year without James Harden, he's still the guy that they paid that large contract to for a reason. So uh, I think Philly, I'm pretty comfortable with putting them in one piece away, and it'll be interesting to see if they do decide to actually make a move at the deadline. Moving on, another tricky team to rank here. We have the Phoenix Suns. Uh, but this is actually one of those situations where I'm not going to get scared off by the record, and I'm going to put the Suns in the contenders tier as well. Uh, they're currently sitting at 20 and 18, right around 500. So really rocky start to the season for the Suns, currently sitting at the eight seed in the Western Conference. Uh, and nobody is happier uh, than the Phoenix Suns by the fact that the Lakers and the Warriors have really sucked this year, uh, which has really distracted national media with how bad Phoenix has been this season. They just can't seem to pull out close games. They have real questions with depth and their ancillary pieces around their big three, especially in the front court. Again, I'm not bullish on Yusuf Nurkic. I didn't like that trade when it happened. Uh, and they're, you know, them not even really having a real guy behind Nurkic to play those backup big minutes. It puts a lot of stress on Kevin Durant as well. And the fact that they're really maxed out salary-wise, where I don't really know what their moves are. Uh, but the reason why I'm still putting them in the contender tier, because I was just thinking back to how good Kevin Durant and Devin Booker were in the playoffs, especially Booker against Denver last year, being the only team to knock off two games from that really awesome Denver team. Uh, that kind of spoke to me, man. And especially since we haven't really seen Bradley Beal play with this team at all. And I think there's still only been a few games to date where all three of their big three have been active. Uh, so I'm just going to buy in on the fact that, hey, Kevin Durant still hasn't lost a step. That's a positive for the Suns. He's been unbelievable for them this year. Booker is still playing at an extremely high level. Even Beal has had some really big performances in the limited games he's been out there for Phoenix. So just because we haven't seen it a ton yet, I expect, you know, the chemistry to build with this team in the second half of the year. I expect them to stay a little bit better health-wise uh, to keep them afloat and climb up the Western Conference standings a little bit. And right there in the playoffs, I don't think there's going to be many people that would be looking forward to playing the Suns. And I could see a world in which they contend for an NBA title. So I'm putting them right there in the contenders tier. Moving on, we are going to be talking about the Portland Trailblazers. A nice easy one for us here as we immediately add Portland into our tanking tier. Uh, it's been a rocky few weeks for the Blazers. I think they've lost like their last like three or so games by like a combined like a hundred and something points. It's just insane the type of ass whoopings that they've been taking lately. Uh, currently, they are 10 and 28. They are the 14th seed in the Western Conference. I believe that the highlight or low light rather of their last week or so was losing by like 60 something to the Thunder. Uh, shout out the Blazers, though. They definitely made me feel better as a Celtics fan because that was kind of the headline uh, on a night where the Celtics, again, lost by a bajillion points to the Bucks. So shout out the Blazers for losing even worse than the Celtics did that that night. But yeah, just thoughts on the Blazers. I mean, Scoot is off to a really tough start to his rookie year. Actually had his best game of his young career last night. I 
think he had 33 points or something like that and actually looked really smooth getting to the hoop and whatnot. So good for him. He obviously secured that sneaker deal before the start of his rookie season, which is great. Uh, not sure if that deal would be out there just with the struggles of Portland. But again, it's still super early in Scoot's career. I think he will be just fine. It, it's just going to take a little bit of time, especially, you know, being a small guard in a league without it, without a consistent jump shot. That's tough. That's tough for anybody. So hopefully he's able to figure that out sooner rather than later. Uh, they still have too many guards, though. Like, that's the other interesting thing. Like, again, Shaden Sharp was really essential for them earlier in the season when they didn't have Brogdon and Scoot for a while. Sharp was playing big minutes. He was putting up, like, 25 points a game or something like that. And now he's coming off the bench. He, he really hasn't been scoring consistently. And they just have a lot of guys, you know, especially Anthony Simons as well. Like, it would be nice to see them move on from Simons and Brogdon before the deadline and, and just kind of turn the team over to Scoot and Sharp and just see what that backcourt looks like for a full, like, 35 minutes a game. And uh, maybe then they'll have a little bit more cohesion and consistency with that team. But just in general, there's there are a roster that's pretty devoid of talent. I would expect them to maybe move on from Jeremy Grant at some point, too, and just kind of build around Scoot, Sharp, and maybe keep Aiden around to have some size. Uh, but again, not a whole lot to talk about in Portland. They've been in a, in a really tough stretch here. Moving on, we have the Sacramento Kings, and maybe this is disrespectful of Kings. Uh, so any Kings fans out there, you can uh, yell at me if you want, but I'm going to put them in Frisky. Again, they're 23-16. and 16. They're having a good season by all accounts, uh, currently sitting at the sixth seed in the Western Conference. I mean, Fox and Sabonis are damn good, right? Like, Fox is playing some of the best basketball of his career, averaging nearly 30 points a game. But I just don't know what the Kings can do for me to really adjust the ceiling of this team. It's just really tough for them that they lost in the first round last year after having that incredible season where they were the three seed in the Western Conference. Um, I just, you know, again, even though Keegan Murray seems to continue to develop and he's a lot better than what he was last year, especially shooting the ball, that's looking like an awesome pick for the Kings, especially with the struggles of Jaden Ivey over in Detroit. The Kings were smart enough to grab Keegan Murray and have somebody that fits alongside Fox and Sabonis so well. But I just, I don't even think they're one piece away either because I don't know what that next move is for the Sacramento Kings. They're definitely a good team. They're definitely a tough out, but they still have a lot of defensive question marks. And I just feel like they are a poster boy for Frisky. Uh, I did want to also just throw in that I think nobody in the NBA is more of like a cardio king than Harrison Barnes. Like there's games where he plays like literally like 30 something minutes and he'll just like finish the box score with like, you know, four points. And I'll even be watching the game and be like, what? Like he was out there. Like, I feel like I didn't even notice him. And so uh, anyway, it, you know, it might be time for Harrison Barnes to just like get shipped off into greener pastures or something like that. And just maybe try out a lineup of, of Monk and Herter and Keegan Murray out there and just see what they can do. Because uh, I'm not exactly sure what Harrison Barnes gives you at this point in time. Uh, moving on, let's talk about the San Antonio Spurs. And we're going to, again, move them right up into the tanking tier. Yeah, man, the Spurs are disappointing, right? Like, I don't think I'm crazy surprised that the Spurs are toward the bottom of the standings, especially with how good this NBA is. But for them to only have seven wins at this point in the season, being 7-31 and and dead last in the Western Conference, is a little frustrating, especially if you watch a lot of the games. Like, I still love watching Wemby more than nearly any other player in the NBA. And some people have been disappointed by him. And maybe it's just the fact that, you know, Chet has been so good and in the limelight for Oklahoma City, who's been a top team in the West, where uh, it just makes people more disappointed in what they've seen from Wemby Yama. But you look at that Spurs team and it's like, what did you really expect, man? Like, many people have talked about the experiment of playing Sohan at point guard and how much of a failure that is and how much harder that makes things for Wemby and even just the minutes when Trey Jones is out there, what that does for Victor Wembanyama. And, you know, there's so many different creative ways to get him the ball that they just haven't unlocked yet or even really scratched the surface on. Um, it's really, really frustrating to look at. I know, like, the the common thing to say when it was announced that, you know, San Antonio won the draft lottery and they were going to be the obvious home to Victor Wembanyama is like, oh, man, like, you know, Wemby couldn't have gone to a better situation. He couldn't have gone to a better organization. And I understand, like, the organizational piece and the legacy there and Greg Popovich and all that great stuff. But when you look at the situation, I'm like, are we sure? Are we sure it was the best situation? Because I didn't say that. I was actually on record of saying on this podcast that I'm like, if you're looking at the talent on the team, it's Houston. And it's not close. And, like, imagine if you had added Wembenyama to that team to play alongside Shangun and, you know, you swap him out with the Thompson twin that's over in Houston. Like, 
What does that Houston team look like? Are they a top four seed in the West? I think they very well could be. And so I, I just wanted to throw that out there. Like, again, I know the Spurs suck, but that's really not an indictment on Wembenyama, who's also leading the league in blocks. I know it looks awkward at times, but there, there's still must-watch TV when Wembenyama is playing because of the incredible plays that he can make and the incredible highlights he produces on a night-to-night basis. And I'm not entirely sure that Wemby's not the rookie of the year. I'm just throwing it out there. I know Chet's numbers are great, but Wemby's are great too. And you have to ask yourself, like, can Wemby fill up the box score like Chet does if he's still on the Thunder? I think so. He's Chet's in a much better basketball situation, a team that makes sense, point blank, period. Uh, I'm really just, I just wanted to throw out there, like, look, I know that it's just interesting to, to talk, to discuss how we talk about winning when it comes to rookie of the year, because there's not usually the expectations for a rookie, especially one that's highly drafted, to immediately step in and win, because they're obviously getting drafted by bottom barrel teams. Uh, so just something I wanted to throw out there, like, are we sure Chet is not benefiting from that basketball situation in a way that Wemby is absolutely not? And so I know that it's easy to point to Chet, who has similar numbers on a much better team, and just be like, he's rookie of the year. But I, I don't want to rule out Wembenyama. I think it's just going to come down to the wire on that because of how talented he is as well. So just wanted to throw that out there. That's plenty of Spurs talk. Let's move on to talking about the Toronto Raptors. And we are going to add them next to the Bulls in the Bad Vibes Club here. They probably have the best vibes of the Bad Vibes Club as currently constructed, sitting at 15 and 24. They're the 12th seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, but the reason that the vibes are good is I really like the deal that they just made. I, again, we talked about it on the last episode. I don't want to cover it a ton, but I like the additions of Quickly and RJ Barrett to that Raptors team. Moving on from OG Anobi, uh, the, the piece that we're all waiting on is the Pascal Siakam trade. When that is going to happen, it should be happening before the deadline, I'd imagine, or else you're risking Pascal Siakam leaving for basically nothing in the offseason. So once they make that Siakam trade, they recoup some draft capital, then they'll have a real direction. But the positive thing for the Raptors is, look, they weren't expecting to be, you know, really competitive this year, I can't imagine, after how last year ended for them. But this, the things that we did learn is that Scotty Barnes is a cornerstone player that they can build around, which is really exciting. He's a super awesome guy to watch night in and night out. And I think the pieces around Scotty are starting to make more sense as they put more shooters around him, more people that can space the court. Interested to see what they get back in that Siakam trade. Moving on, we have the Utah Jazz. Uh, they were actually a really tricky team to rank as well. Uh, originally thought I was going to end up having them in Bad Vibes Club, but they've been too good of late. So I'm going to add them to Frisky as well because they're actually 8-2 and two in their last 10 games, which is pretty unbelievable. Uh, they're the newest members of Club Frisky. And I almost wanted to put them in Purgatory as well because... Again, I just think that this team is too good to bottom out. Like, they're 21 and 20. They're the nine seed in the Western Conference. They're ahead of teams like Golden State and Los Angeles, which is insane to think about. But again, with Laurie Markinen on this team and some of the other role players that they have around him, like, the team is just too good and too well coached to lose games. Will Hardy's doing a great job with that unit. But the interesting thing is that they actually, again, they don't have their first round pick this year. So it, it kind of makes sense that they want to be competitive because there's, there's really no incentive for them to like trade away marketing and go down the standings. But I think an interesting question to ask is like, if they did trade away Laurie Markkinen, like what would that compensation package look like? Like clearly the guy's probably an all-star again. Like he's playing at a really high level. Last year was not a fluke, a seven foot tall guy that can slash and space the floor. Like that's really scary stuff. And it actually goes as far as to beg the question, like was the compensation package that the jazz got for Laurie Markkinen actually, or the, the compensation package uh, that they got for giving away Donovan Mitchell was actually relatively better than what they got for Rudy Gobert. Like we looked at Rudy Gobert and we saw the four first round picks and the, and the pick swaps and Walker Kessler and all that stuff. Here's what they, the jazz got in return when they traded away Donovan Mitchell. Colin Sexton is an important part of their rotation to this day. Lori Markkinen, their, their franchise cornerstone at this point. Uh, Ochai Abaji, a guy I really like. And then an additional one, two, three firsts and then two pick swaps. Like, is that better than the Gobert package? Uh, probably. It, it, de it actually definitely is, for that matter. So, And I know that they gave away a better player in Donovan Mitchell, so you would expect that package to be better. But that even might even be more of a highway robbery situation than the Gobert situation, especially with the fact that Cleveland might be looking to trade Donovan Mitchell in short order here. So just a really masterful job by the Utah Jazz the past couple years. While they're not going to have a super high pick this year, they're really just in the green with this team, and it's going to be fascinating to see the direction that they take because they are like a middle-of-the-pack team, when they're and they're really ahead of schedule with some of the talent on that roster. 
Finally, our last team. Let's not waste a lot of time talking about Washington, man. They're an easy addition into tanking. Nobody's happier about how bad the Pistons suck than the Wizards, who are damn near as bad and might even be more devoid of talent than the Pistons. They're 7-31. and They're the 14th seed in the Eastern Conference. Um, I'm really happy and I really feel seen now that we've all admitted that Jordan Poole just sucks. Uh, the guy has, again, one of the worst plus minuses in the entire NBA. He really, like, his basketball IQ uh, for a player that's won an NBA championship and played in that Golden State system is insane. He's a liability on defense. And even now that, you know, we thought he was at least going to fill up the box score in terms of points and shot attempts and all that stuff. And he can't even do that. Like, he's not even averaging, like, 25 points a game on a Washington team that desperately needs some offense. So, pretty hilarious how bad Jordan Poole sucks. And they're easily, like, my least favorite team to watch in the NBA. So I can't speak on Washington too much uh, because I really hate watching them and I watch them uh, less than any other team. And it is pretty funny to see, you know, how many games you, you like just surf the box score when you're on league pass. And like, it's like the second quarter of the Wizards game and they're already down 30. Like, I think they lose games faster than even Detroit does. Like, at least Detroit seems like it's competitive down the stretch and they can never eke out a close one. Like Washington is just over in quarter two. I don't even know where those seven wins came from. So Washington sucks, and that is the conclusion of our tier list. So, again, appreciate you guys sitting through this and listening to me yap about every single team in the NBA. Before I let you guys go, let's go through and just kind of talk about the tier rankings and see if we have any changes to make. So, starting at the top of the contender tier, we have the Boston Celtics, Denver Nuggets, Los Angeles Clippers, Miami Heat, Milwaukee Bucks, and Phoenix Suns. So three teams from each conference. I think that that feels fair. I think there's a world in which all those teams win a title. I think the most questionable of those tiers, if I had to knock out two of the contenders, if we were picking the top four, I'd have to knock out Phoenix and Miami at this point in time. Uh, but again, just kind of thinking back to what I saw from last playoffs and the upside of those guys, I am comfortable leaving Miami and Phoenix in the contenders tier. In the one piece away tier, we have the Warriors, the Lakers, the Timberwolves, the Thunder, and the Sixers. Again, I think the scariest team of that bunch is definitely the Thunder because they have the assets to address the weakness on their roster and the weakness being their lack of size. In the Frisky tier, we have the Cavs probably being the most talented of that bunch, followed by the Mavericks, Rockets, Pacers, Pelicans, Knicks, Magic, Kings, and Jazz. Uh, the Bad Vibes Club, arguably the worst situation to be in in the entire NBA, is a Bad Vibes Club. Because at least with tanking, you have possibility of being able to grab like an, a really elite franchise-changing player at the top of the NBA draft. It's much harder to do that in the Bad Vibes Club, where some of these teams don't even have a real direction. Uh, Atlanta being the first in the Bad Vibes Club, possibly the most disappointing team of the entire season. Followed by the Nets, Bulls, and Raptors. Uh, and then finally, the tanking tier, pretty self-explanatory here. We have the Charlotte Hornets, the Detroit Pistons, the Grizzlies, the Trailblazers, the Spurs, and the Wizards. So that is going to do it for this episode, guys. Definitely let me know what my hottest take is on this list. Maybe it's for some, it's leaving the Lakers in one piece away. Maybe it's me being too bullish on teams like the Warriors that are below 500 and still having them uh, in the realm of contending for a championship. Uh, you guys let me know what the hottest take is, what you disagree on, uh, what you agree with. Let me know in the comments section of any of these episodes or find me at Words with Wallace on all social media sites. That includes YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts, on TikTok as well. And next week, I'm going to try to bring a guest on. Hopefully, want to have guests on the next couple episodes so we can do some deep dives on some of the hottest teams in the NBA and eventually do our all-star preview before those lists are released. So without further ado, I will talk to you guys next week. Peace. Peace.